If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, Living the 66 Books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca. Pride is a natural human emotion. What makes it not just sinful, but so much more dangerous and destructive than other types of sin? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah endeavors to answer that question, explaining why God hates pride and freely gives his children the means to overcome it. To introduce the conclusion of his important message, Love's Power Over Pride, here's David. Well, thank you so much for joining us and beginning this new week with us as we continue our journey through the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Today is part two of the message on love's power over pride. And I can't tell you how important this is because at the center of almost everything that's wrong in our world today is the problem of pride, selfishness and pride and egoism, all of it right at the center. I don't have to prove that to you. You know that intuitively, and you watch it every day. It's played out before us. And the Bible tells us that when you have true love, love overcomes pride. What a power that is, and how important it is for us to learn how it works. We're going to um, do some more homework on that today as we open our Bibles together. I want to remind you that you can get the study guide for this series on 1 Corinthians 13. This study guide is a little bit more robust than the normal ones, a few more pages to cover all the material. It's been produced brand new again and beautiful cover. The study guide you can order and you can also get all the CDs which have the audio messages on it from 1 Corinthians 13. I hope you will take advantage of that while we're talking about it here uh, during the month of September. I also want to remind you that we're we're going to the Caribbean um, at the end of this year. Uh, last week of December, the first week of January, we board a beautiful cruise ship in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and visit some of the great uh, ports of call along the Caribbean Way. We enjoy such wonderful fellowship with each other, the beauty of the ship, the beauty of the sea, the beauty of the worship, the encouragement of the Word of God. Uh, We have uh, Uriel Vega and Michael Sanchez and the Martins coming with us to provide music and worship. You don't want to miss this opportunity uh, to end the old year with reflection and begin the new year with inspiration. You can do that by getting your reservation for the conference cruise to the Caribbean. Once again, the dates are December the 27th through January the 7th. Well, friends, let's get started with part two of this next lesson on the power of love. This is Love's Power Over Pride. Pride ignores God's sovereignty. But I need to share with you that if there is a deadly sin, one that is more wicked than the others. It has to be pride, for it is the only sin that I know of in the Bible that specifically invites God's judgment. Pride not only ignores God's sovereignty, but pride invites God's judgment. I went back through the Proverbs again, back through the literature in the Bible on pride, and I found over and over again this truth. Let me just share some of it with you. Write down the verses, look them up later, but don't forget the content. 
Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil and pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth, God says, do I hate. The proud, arrogant mouth, God says, I hate it. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goeth before a destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Proverbs 11, 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Now all of these Proverbs seem to be summed up in one New Testament scripture that you all know, but I wonder if you've ever known it like you're going to know it as we examine it together. Just let me read it to you. You don't even have to turn to it. But I want to ask you before I read it a question. If I were to tell you something that you could do that would absolutely make God want to stay as far away from you as possible, if I could absolutely prove to you that there's something you can do that will cause God to retreat from you, to get away from you, not to want to be around you if I can use human terms, would you listen? Do you know of anybody who, if they were confronted with the option of doing one thing that would drive God's heart away from their heart, would they do that? Listen to James 4, 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. God resists the proud. And you see it everywhere in history. You see it all around you in the world in which you live. There's one thing that seems to turn the power of God off in a person's life more than anything else, and that is the switch called personal pride. There's one thing that I pray that God will deal with us in our own hearts more than anything else that he would keep us from that evil iniquity which can be the source of God's destruction in our life. For pride invites God's judgment. You remember the book of Daniel, the story of Nebuchadnezzar in the fourth chapter? I love to review that chapter periodically because it is so rich in imagery of a proud man. Nebuchadnezzar, the great ruler of the world, the ruler of the greatest kingdom the world had ever known, the most ornate and beautiful city the world had ever known. And one night Nebuchadnezzar is out taking a walk on the palace walls of the great city of Babylon. From his vantage point on top of the wall, he is able to see the golden palace. The king looks outward to the huge walls that surround the city. The walls are 387 feet high, 85 feet wide. So wide were the walls around that great city that chariots four abreast could be driven on top of them all around the city wall. The city itself was a perfect square, 15 miles on each side. The most powerful city of antiquity boasted wide streets. It was filled with many public buildings and populated by 1.2 million inhabitants. The city was protected, as you remember, by a deep, wide moat filled with water. 
the mighty Euphrates River flowed in one side of the city and out the other side, and in the city therefore was well watered and filled with gardens and palm groves and orchards and farmland dotted all of the landscape and providing enough food to feed all of the people in the city. Historians say they had so much food that when they were attacked they weren't worried because they had enough food to last for 20 years. And in the city were gigantic shrines to the deities of Babylon, beauty eclipsed only by the marvelous air-conditioned hanging gardens which Nebuchadnezzar had built to give his wife for a birthday present. And now the king is walking along the top of the wall. And he is looking out over the magnificent city, and all of a sudden he was puffed up, overwhelmed with pride. And his heart exploded into the words recorded in verse 30 of chapter 4, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of my kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? God said, I've had enough of that. I will resist Nebuchadnezzar. And the next thing we see, the poor guy's crawling around in the grass outside of the palace. His fingernails as long as they can be. He has become a wolf man. And God humbled him. God resists the proud. Mister, you're having a problem in your marriage at home and you wonder where love is. Maybe the reason God isn't doing anything in your marriage is because you've got such a proud heart. He can't get close to you. He's resisting you. You know, pride is the original sin if there is such a thing. It goes all the way back to when Satan was separated from God. That passage in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verses 12 through 14 we read, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground who didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, now watch the individual perpendicular pronoun. This is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. Listen carefully. I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. And God said, I've had enough of it. The next thing we know, the separation occurs and Satan and his demons are gone. And then you come to the New Testament and a man by the name of Herod tried the same caper. I wish we could turn to it, but let me just give you the reference and you read it when you have time. In the book of Acts, chapter 12, verses 21 to 23, we are told that on a set day, Herod was arrayed in royal apparel, and he sat upon his throne, and he made an oration unto the people. And the people gave a shout, and they said, It is the voice of God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord smote Herod, and he was eaten of worms, and he died. And the scripture says it was because he gave not God the glory. God resists the proud. Once again, C.S. Lewis has written that when you come up against God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God is that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you can't know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and down on people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see something that is above you. End of quote. 
all of the difficulties and the problems that God brings into our lives, most of them uninvited, things which we would never choose for ourselves. I wonder sometimes if they are not simply God's messengers to us to keep us with our feet on the ground and away from a proud heart. The last thing I want to share with you about pride that is so devastating is this. Pride, thirdly, interrupts God's peace and love. It always happens. And the reason that it is like that is because pride by its very nature is competitive. In fact, if you want to find out how proud you are, here's the easiest way to do it. How much do I dislike it when other people snub me or refuse to take notice of me or shove their oar in or patronize me or show off or do anything to put me down? And you see, the point is that in each person's pride, there is competition with everybody else's pride. It is because I want to be the big noise at the party that I don't like the big noise at the party. Pride, you see, is essentially competitive. It is competitive by its very nature. The other vices that we learn about in the Bible are not necessarily like that. Pride does not get pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than everybody else. We say that people are proud of being rich, or proud of being clever, or proud of being good-looking. But they are not. They are proud of being richer. They are proud of being cleverer or better-looking than anybody else. That's what pride is. If everyone else became equally rich or equally clever or equally good-looking, there'd be nothing to be proud about. It's the comparison that makes you proud and the pleasure of being above everybody. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone with it. That is why pride, you see, is essentially competitive in a way that no other vices really are. Uh, the sexual impulse can drive two men into competition if they both want the same girl, but that's really just an accident. They might just as likely have wanted two different girls, but a proud man will take your girl from you, not because he wants her, but just to prove that he's better than you are. Isn't that true? Now, you just let me illustrate that for you. Do you remember when you were growing up in high school and you were dating that young lady? And there's a particular week when things were really going badly and you thought about dropping her. I mean, you just really were thinking along those lines. I mean, this is really a drag. And you had yourself mentally prepared. I mean, you had the speech all mentally written out, and you were going to give her that speech at the appropriate time. But something happened before you could do it. Another guy came into the picture, and before you could give her the speech, he asked her out, and she said yes, and now you're ready to fight till the end to get her back. Two days ago, you were going to give her up. Now you're going to the wall. You'll show that guy. Is it because you love her? Oh, girls, please don't ever believe that. <laughs> it's not because you love her. It's because you're so proud you don't want to lose. Now, if she had come to you and said, I want you to get lost, you would have been hurt, and you would have fought to get her back. If you had come to say to her, it's over, you could have walked away and said, well, you know how it is when you're like I am. <laughs> Pride. You see, I don't know that we've ever really understood that. I know I haven't completely understood it, that pride by its very nature is competitive. Now, 
Husbands and wives, do you see why it makes it absolutely impossible for you to love within the context of a home when the spirit of your whole heart is one of pride and competition? You see, a proud man never gets enough, and when he has what he thinks he wants, it is only as good as his ability to evaluate it in context with other people. And that's why, for instance, have you known people, and I've known folks like this, I mean, here's a guy that makes $10 million a year. Can you imagine that? I mean, $10 million a year. And he's got boats and houses and cars, and he drives to the beach, and he's got all of these things all over the place. And he's out there driving like crazy, trying to get more. You know why? He met a guy the day before that's got $11 million a year, and it's driving him crazy. And he wants to be able to say, I make more money than all of them. Here's a guy who's making $700,000 a year as a relief pitcher. I mean, he works every other game, maybe once every five days, and he pitches two innings, goes out and throws a little round ball at some guy for about an hour, and he gets 600000 or 800000 And he's doing just fine until he reads in the paper that a relief pitcher in the other league just signed a new contract for $100,000 more than he's making, and he's willing to strike, he's willing to report late, he wants his contract renegotiated. Why? Does he have enough money to live on? Good night if he doesn't. What about all of us? <laughs> it's not a matter of his money or having enough to live on, it's his pride, because pride is competitive. Pride always has to win. Pride always has to be on top. Pride will drive relationships apart because pride cannot exist in the context of agape love, which is always looking on the other one's best interest. Pride invites God's judgment and it interrupts peace and love. Let me just give you a couple of practical things that I'd like to leave with you before we close. What should we do about pride in our lives? Well, obviously, we need to humble ourselves before God. And by and large, what we look at as we look at the Scripture is that either we humble ourselves or God humbles us. Nebuchadnezzar had a shot at getting humble before God had to humble him. But because he would not, God did it. And the Bible tells us that if we humble ourselves before God, he will exalt us. But I think maybe I can clear up a couple of other issues about pride that might help us as we try to deal with this issue in our lives. If it is indeed such an enemy of love, then we ought to be very concerned about dealing with it in our own lives. I think it's important that we need to understand the reason for humility before God. Pride is something that God forbids. But he is not doing that because he's worried about his dignity. He doesn't want us to be humble just so that he can maintain his dignity. The point is, he wants us to know him. He wants us to give ourselves to himself. And he knows that there are two things of such a kind that you can really get into touch with, and that is... If we will get into touch with God through a humble spirit, we can really know God. We can begin to understand Him. God is trying to make us, through the experiences of our life, humble so that we can know Him. 
It is only in humility that we can come to know the God who is in heaven. He is trying to help us take a lot of the silly, ugly, fancy dress in which we've gotten ourselves all caught up, especially in this generation, and do away with it all and stop strutting about like the little idiots that we are sometimes and just be before God who he wants us to be, simple, humble, individual people, not trying to impress anybody and not trying to be impressed, just to be simple before God. Pride is the kind of sin that is different than all of the other sins we're involved in. It is the kind of sin that, if we are not careful, can smuggle itself right into our religious life. You see, the other vices that we fight with as Christians, the less bad, if I can use that term, vices, come from the devil working through our animal nature, through the flesh. But pride... I never realized this before. Pride comes directly from hell. It is a purely spiritual sin. Consequently, it is far more subtle, and it is far more deadly. Pride can often be used to beat down the simpler advices. Have you noticed that teachers often appeal to a boy's pride, or as they call it, his self-respect, to make him behave decently? Many times a man has overcome cowardice or lust or ill temper by learning to think that it is beneath his dignity, beneath his pride. And whenever that happens, the devil laughs. He's perfectly content to see you becoming chaste and brave and self-controlled, provided all the time he is setting up in you the dictatorship of pride. Just wait. And the things that you are fighting with the tool of pride in your life will seem as simple child's play when Satan gets done working you over with the spiritual sin of pride. Pride, my friends, is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love in your life. It destroys your ability to love God and to love others. Pride is the sin of hell. It is the very core of Satan. And it is the one, above all of the other sins in the Bible, that can literally destroy your chance to succeed in life. I read some time ago about a young minister from Scotland who got up in the pulpit to preach one day with the most unbelievable self-confidence that you can imagine, proud and arrogant, puffed up, if you will. But when he got done preaching, it was evident to everybody, including himself, that the sermon he delivered was less than excellent. In fact, it was a flop. It was a failure. It was like a double dose of sleeping pills for the congregation. And when he came down from the pulpit that day, his head was down and he was feeling so bad. He was just defeated as he could be. And a dear elderly woman in the church who had been there for years and had known God and walked with God grabbed hold of the young man's arm and she brought him over and she sat him down. And this is the advice that she gave him. Son, if you had gone up the way you came down, you would have come down the way you went up. I see you thinking that through. He went up in a spirit of arrogance and he came down in a sense of humility. 
But God wanted him to go up in a sense of humility so that in the power of the Spirit he could have come down with a sense of confidence. We have the choice. Like everything else in life, we have the choice. And I want to ask you if you will join me as we choose love. Amen. Amen. Well, tomorrow we're going to talk about the power of love over rudeness. Wednesday and Thursday, we're going to talk about selfishness, and then Friday on anger. So we, we've been reading your mail. We're taking care of all your problems in one week uh, by the study of the 13th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. And I'm smiling when I say that, as you know. We are finding great help from these words from 1 Corinthians 13. I hope you agree. It's really worthwhile to read this chapter over and over again. It's filled with truth, not just at a wedding, not just at a church service, but uh, get a good translation, a good paraphrase even, and uh, let this chapter become a part of who you are, the power of love, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Don't forget to uh, ask for your copy of our resource for the month, The Unchanging Promises of God, the calendar for next year. You know all about that. You've been hearing me talk about it. Cheers for the asking when you send your gift during the month of September. I'll see you next time right here on this good station. Today's message came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. How is God blessing you through Turning Point? Let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2024, focused on God's enduring faithfulness, the unchanging promises of God, yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app to instantly access our content or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Power of Love, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game, where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant Reformation in 1517, was full of practical advice on living the Christian life. Concerning marriage, he said that wives should make it so husbands are glad to come home, and husbands should make their wives sorry to see them leave the next morning. Well, that's good advice for married couples. It's a principle that applies equally well to all relationships. 
Are people glad to see us when we arrive and sorry when we have to leave? If so, it's usually because we are obeying the biblical principle of considering others more important than ourselves. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's principles for happy relationships on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. That's Route66life.com. Route 66, start your journey home today.